And we pray uh, that as we hear your word today, we wouldn't harden our hearts towards you. Um, Strengthen our faith as we come to know you as the God whose promises never fail. Um, In Jesus' name, Amen. In our home, there was a time uh, when we tried recipes for healthy desserts. Uh, Recipes which promised to give the same pleasure and joy as real desserts, but never deliver. I don't know if you've had that experience as well. I'm sure you have. Uh, Failed promises can be painful, can't they? Uh, I had a friend who didn't believe in marriage. Uh, Seeing so many failed marriages, he resorted to a promiscuous lifestyle. Because what if the marriage didn't deliver the goods? Um, This same friend also found it really hard to believe in God. Uh, He feared that after becoming a Christian, he'd realized that it just wasn't worth it. That trusting God was all a big mistake. uh, That his old life was so much better. It's like he had a fear of being tricked into receiving something he never asked for or wanted. This fear that my friend had isn't unusual, is it? I wonder how much of our decisions, commitments, desires, thoughts and actions are driven by the fears of uh, the fear of promises not delivering. Over the last few weeks, we heard uh, the story of the nation of Israel finally being led into the promised land. Miracle after miracle, we've seen how God handed over the land and drove out their enemies. And where we ended last week, Israel was watching the dust settle from all the war. Chapter 11, verse 23 says, So Joshua took the whole land according to all that the Lord had spoken to Moses, and Joshua gave it for an inheritance. Has he given them exactly what he has promised? What will it be like to live here? Will it be better than living as slaves in Egypt? There are a number of ways that the Israelites uh, could have responded to God's blessing. Uh, And as we look through Joshua chapters 12 to 21 today, in amongst all the names, lists and geographic locations, we're going to focus on two examples of how Israel received the inheritance that God gave them. But before we get into that, let let me take you through the glory of these chapters. We reached a climax at the end of chapter 11 and the tension in waiting for God to fulfill his promise is finally resolved here. We might expect this resolution to be some kind of celebration, a big party with lots of BC style historic dance moves. No, not a party. We get a report, a report that details every aspect of the fulfillment of God's promises. Sweeping over the 10 chapters, we notice the repeating patterns showing that Joshua, Eleazar the priest, and one chief from each tribe met together and they divided the inheritances to each tribe according to God's command to Moses. Reading through Joshua chapters 12 to 21 feels like reading through the minutes of a historic annual general meeting detailing the portions of land that belong to each tribe. Uh, It's easy to only see a bunch of names that we can't pronounce and lose sight of why this detail is in our Bibles. Uh, But 
we come to see that the detail points to the extent of God delivering his promise. Uh, the text is showing how much rest God gave them. It's indicating the completeness of God's promise. Chapter 21 ends with the words, All came to pass. Every one of God's good promises all came to pass. So with all this in mind, uh, let's read the summary um, we find in chapter 14. So I'm going to read that again from verse 1 of chapter 14. Uh, These are the inheritances that the people of Israel received in the land of Canaan, which Eleazar the priest and Joshua the son of Nun and the heads of the fathers' houses of the tribes of the people of Israel gave them to inherit. Their inheritance was by lot, just as the Lord had commanded by the hand of Moses for the nine and one half tribes. For Moses had given an inheritance to the two and one half tribes beyond the Jordan, but to the Levites he gave no inheritance among them. For the people of Joseph were two tribes, Manasseh and Ephraim, and no portion was given to the Levites in the land, but only cities to dwell in with their pasture lands for their livestock and their substance. The people of Israel did as the Lord commanded Moses, they allotted the land. Now this gives us a general feel of the content of uh, these chapters. Uh, Have a look at the uh, the map um, on the screen. That's uh, a little bit more accurate than what uh, Eleanor showed us, but her one's way tastier, I promise you. Um, You can see in the green shade in this map, the Reubenites, the Gadites, and half-tribe Manasseh are the two and one-half tribes. Uh, that are already settled on the east of the Jordan before Israel crossed over to Jericho. Um, From here on, though, from chapter 12 onwards, the focus is on the west of the Jordan in the um, green shade. Um, Here in our context, we might not be feeling the significance of all this. Uh, But for an Israelite, this was the beginning of a life of blessing. The words in this report is a celebration in itself, a celebration that not one of God's good promises failed or came to pass. Our question so far has been whether God will deliver his promise. And in many ways, there is no real question about it. Of course, God will fulfill his promise. We've known this all along. He's been delivering his promises from the day he saved Israel out of Egypt. The real question here is, how did the people respond? There are a number of conversations that we encounter in these chapters, and they shed light on how the tribes received their inheritances. We're going to look at uh, two of these, Caleb and Ephraim. Firstly, Caleb. Caleb approaches Joshua, chapter 14, verse 6, and recounts a story to him, a story that goes back 40 years. Uh, when Caleb was sent with Joshua and 10 other men to spy out the promised land. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. And I brought him word again as it was in my heart. But my brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. Yet I wholly followed the Lord my God. Caleb and Joshua wholly followed God by trusting him, even though the inhabitants of Canaan were so much more stronger and more terrifying, uh, the nation of Israel didn't have to be afraid because God was with them. 
But the ten other men lacked faith in God's power and his goodness. They feared and they brought fear among the people as well. Verse 9 says that Caleb was promised an inheritance because he wholly followed the Lord God. And here he is at 84 years of age saying in verse 12, So now give me this hill country of, of which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on that day how the Anakim were there and great fortified with great fortified cities. Uh, it may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall drive them out just as the Lord said. Caleb approaches Joshua with confidence. But it seems a little bit presuming, don't you think? Uh, a bit too forward and overconfident of him. Now, this was something that Moses promised him 40 years ago. Caleb's now 84. Does he really think he can go and take a fortified city with giants in it? The result in Joshua 15 verse 13 is surprising. According to the commandment of the Lord to Joshua, he gave to Caleb the son of Jephunneh a portion among the people of Judah. Not only did Caleb receive the land, but he also successfully drove out the Anakim. This man is amazing. What is it about the faith of Caleb that's so inspiring though? He seems like someone with limitless determination. Nothing scares a man like Caleb. He reminds me a bit of Gandalf from The Lord of the Rings. Always there uh, somehow to help Frodo on his journey. Everybody wants to have a faith like Caleb. But it would be a shame if we looked at Caleb's faith in awe, but failed to see what his faith was grounded in. What's inspiring about the faith of Caleb isn't how much faith he had, but that his faith was so grounded in God's word to him that there was no reason why he should be afraid. Caleb wasn't unfailing or necessarily fearless. God's word is unfailing. Caleb succeeded because he held fast to God's unfailing word. God's unfailing word produced an eagerness in him to act on the promise and receive his inheritance. What might this look like in practice in our Christian walks today? An example I can think of is of a pastor and his wife who remained in Syria during the war. Even though they had opportunities to leave, they stayed and endured danger and much hardship. What, but what moved them in their decision? other than to lay aside their life for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of loving and serving others. Even though there's so much more they could gain in this life here and now, they trusted God's promise that he had prepared for them something unimaginably better. Is our Christian faith grounded in God's unfailing word? Is God's unfailing word what moves us in our decisions and commitments? Is it what drives how we do relationships? Is God's unfailing word what shapes our desires? Or is it our fears that do all that? 
Are we more like the tribe of Ephraim? Ephraim had a very different approach to receiving their inheritance. They came up to Joshua with a complaint. Chapter 17, verse 14. Why have you given me but one lot and one portion as an inheritance, although I am a numerous people, since all along the Lord has blessed me? You see, they're worried that they've been tricked. They're not, uh, they're not here to receive their inheritance, but to express that they deserve better. Maybe even insinuating that if God was so kind to bless them, uh, their tribe, making them by making them numerous, well, he can also bless them by giving them a bigger piece of land then. When Joshua responds saying that they should act on the promise and go into the forest and take the land that God had given them, they're not impressed with that idea at all. Uh, reason being that the Canaanites who live there have chariots of iron. Notice the contrast between Caleb and Ephraim. Caleb acted on God's promise to him by faith, but Ephraim's, uh, Ephraim acted not by faith, but by fear and doubt. Not only a fear of the Canaanites, which seems so odd considering they've had so many victories until now, but a fear that God's word is likely to fail. They doubted God and his word and they don't believe God's promise. I don't think we have to dig too far to find the same kind of fear in ourselves. The kind of fear that leads us to doubt God and his goodness. This fear goes right back to the first man and woman. Adam and Eve feared that God had tricked them and chose to believe a lie rather than God's word. This very fear led them to sin and to be cast out of the garden. Sin entered the world the moment humans doubted God's goodness. The Ephraimites should have known better too. Their own parents, in fact the whole previous generation apart from Joshua and Caleb, all died in the wilderness because of their unbelief. So we've seen two contrasting responses to God's blessing. Caleb eagerly acted on the promise and received his inheritance by faith. Yet many others like Ephraim stalled. Like deer at headlights, not knowing what to do next. In chapter 18 verse 3 we see Joshua calling all the tribes and saying, How long will you put off going into take possession of the land it's the Lord the God of your fathers has given you uh, what stopped them from eagerly running towards their inheritance God had not failed once so far but their fear of promises not delivering dominated their response to all that God had done so they stalled when God calls us to live his way do we stall? Wondering whether it's worth following Jesus. That if we live for him, we're going to miss out on the good life here and now. Or do we respond in faith like Caleb 
Are we willing to follow Jesus wholly to strive to receive our inheritance? When all the land dividing uh, is complete, we read these closing words, end of chapter 21. Thus the Lord gave to Israel all the land he swore to give to their fathers. And they took possession of it and they settled there. And the Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their fathers. Not one of all their enemies had withstood them, for the Lord had given all their enemies into their hands. Not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. These are such comforting words for us. Not one failed promise. Our God always keeps his promises. These 10 chapters are boasting the completeness of God's promises. The completeness that is described as rest on every side. But what's so significant about this rest? The nation of Israel did, in fact, have rest from their enemies for a time and enjoyed God's blessing in the land. Uh, but this wasn't the end of the story. God had a bigger plan for his people. Remember the first time God's people had rest on every side? It was in the Garden of Eden. Uh, God created the world in six days. And when, he, and when he completed his work of creation, he rested on the seventh day. Uh, and Adam and Eve enjoyed this rest with him. The writer of Hebrews points us to this rest called the Sabbath rest. He says in Hebrews 4 verse 8, For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did for his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest. Just as God rested when he completed his work of creation, God's unfailing promise is that we will receive our rest. The exact day of receiving our rest isn't the focus here. Neither is there a question on whether God will deliver his promise to us. The focus is on whether we are eager to enter that rest. So eager that we hold fast to his son, Jesus. There are many days when I'm more likely to hold fast to the failing promises of this world. Our world promises endless pleasure. It promises a long, immortal life. It promises an invincible body. It promises superior knowledge and wisdom. It promises success. If only we tried harder, if only we worked harder or smarter to get more money and just reach our rest. But this world as it is now, it's not our inheritance. God's unfailing word tells us that this world is going to pass away. It is only by faith in Jesus' death and resurrection that we receive an inheritance that does not pass away. We've been promised this 
by our promise-keeping God. There is no reason why we should fear and trust Him wholly, but only to act on this promise with confidence and strive to receive our inheritance. Let me pray. Father in heaven, you know our hearts and how quick we are to be deceived, to think that we can run life without you, that we know best, often coming to you like skeptics, wondering if you actually love us. And yet you loved us so much that you sent your son to die for our sins and you offered us an eternal rest. Please forgive us and help us see how depraved we are and how much we need you. Help us trust in your son and all that he accomplished for us. In his name we pray. Amen.